Welcome to today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. This podcast is your one-stop source for all the latest news in the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the nation. Now with today's report, here is your host, Michael Butler. Thank you, Jennifer, and hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Gone Fishing Nuclear Report. Today is Monday, March 14th, 2022. We're covering all the news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the country. We have a special treat today. Last Tuesday, we celebrated International Women's Day. That observance gave me an opportunity to be introduced to Carolyn Huntoon, who was the first female EM1, the Assistant Secretary for Environmental Management. Carolyn served from 1999 to 2001 and brought to DOE a resume with unmatched credentials. She had also been the first woman director of the Johnson Space Center and was a driver in bringing women into America's astronaut corps. Considered one of the foremost scientists in the United States, Carolyn Lee Chuntoon made history in 1994 as the first woman director of NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. She played an essential role in leading an organization that carried out some of uh, what are arguably the greatest uh, scientific and engineering feats uh, that human beings have ever been organized to carry out together. Carolyn's story is most interesting, and we'll have more about her later in the podcast. I found it fascinating, and I think you will too. Interestingly, there have been five other women in the EM1 position in the 20 years since. Some were Senate-confirmed and some were acting. Together, they have served a total of eight years, or about 40% of the total time across those two decades. Can you name those five women? I'll give you six seconds. See how many you can name. Here's the list. Jesse Hill Roberson from 2001 to 2004, Inez Trier, 2008 to 2011, Monica Rigelbudo, 2015 to 2017, Sue Cange from January to June 2017, and Anne Marie White, 2018 and 2019. Don't go away. We'll be right back with today's top story. Want to know more about the Gone Fission Nuclear Report podcast? Want to hear past episodes featuring topics of interest in the Department of Energy Environmental Management Program? Then you need to visit our website at gonefissionpodcast.com. Make comments or ask questions about podcast episodes. Weigh in with your thoughts and opinions. Suggest a topic for a future podcast interview. We want to hear from you. Visit gonefissionpodcast.com today. That's gonefishingpodcast.com. Now here with today's top story is Michael Butler. EM Chief of Staff Mike Nartker didn't sing the Sister Hazel song, 
but he did borrow the lyrics as he revealed an updated map of the EM complex during the 2022 Waste Management Symposium in Phoenix last week. The new map shows one less cleanup site. Falling off the map is Brookhaven National Laboratory. EM's cleanup at the laboratory site on Long Island, New York, is complete. Following the demolition last year of a distinctive red and white exhaust stack, associated with the former research reactor known as the High Flux Beam Reactor, or HFBR. EM Senior Advisor Ike White called the HFBR stack demolition and safe cleanup at Brookhaven a pivotal accomplishment for EM and one more example of steady and sustainable success in EM's mission of safe cleanups across the country. With the Brookhaven cleanup complete, the map of the EM complex now shows the remaining 15 active EM sites where cleanup work is currently ongoing. As the largest environmental cleanup program in the world, EM was initially charged with cleanup of 107 sites across the country whose area is equal to the combined area of Rhode Island and Delaware. The waste demobilization and vitrification plant at Hanford has successfully activated a system that will transport stainless steel containers that will be filled with tank waste immobilized in glass. Practice runs are underway on this system that will run through the basement level of the low-activity waste facility. The system is comprised of rail carts, turntables, elevators, and a crane that are all operated remotely from the low-activity waste facility control room. This is one more step toward startup of what is called the VIT plant that will ultimately transform 56 million gallons of liquid waste currently stored in underground tanks into glass for permanent disposal. The VIT plant is set to begin operation in late 2023. There's more news from Hanford this week. Contractors there have learned about their incentive pay for fiscal year 2021. DOE has awarded $77 million in incentive pay to four contractors for their work at the Washington State site. Three of the contractors were new last year. None earned as high a percentage of their pay as their predecessors. They also did not do as well as the fourth contractor, Washington River Protection Solutions, a corporate veteran that has been DOE's tank operations contractor since 2008. WRPS earned 94% of its available incentive pay, or fee as it is called by DOE. The company, owned by Amenum and Atkins, received nearly $42 million for its work at Hanford in FY 2021. Hanford Mission Integration Solutions earned 87% of its available pay, which translates to $14 million. This covered its first eight months at Hanford. The company is composed of Lidos, Centera, and Parsons. Central Plateau Cleanup Corporation earned 79%, or $21 million, and Hanford Laboratory Management and Integration which operates the 222S laboratory, 
earned 75% of its available pay. This covered a four-month period and amounted to $977,000. Not included in the latest fee award announcement is Bechtel National, which is building and starting up the $17 billion waste immobilization and vitrification plant. It's on a calendar year review and fee schedule. And now it's time for People in the News. Candace Robertson will become the Acting Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for EM. In this role, she will enable the safe and successful execution of the EM cleanup mission while providing management oversight of activities, operations, and program integration across EM field sites. Robertson is currently a senior advisor to Secretary Granholm and Deputy Secretary Turk. She replaces Todd Schrader, who will be moving to the Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations as the Deputy Director for Project Management. DOE established this office to deliver more than $20 billion provided by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law to support large-scale clean energy demonstration projects. Schrader is expected to begin his new assignment in April. As we noted, International Women's Day was last Tuesday, March 8th. This is a day of global celebration of the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. The day also marks a call to action for accelerating women's equality. During the week, I learned about a woman named Carolyn Huntoon. I want to tell you about her today. She's an impressive female leader and has a close connection to the topic of this podcast. Carolyn Leach Huntoon was the fourth Assistant Secretary for DOE's Office of Environmental Management. As a female, she broke barriers in the federal government, becoming the first woman director of NASA's Johnson Space Center in Texas, and later DOE's first female EM-1, a post she held from July 1999 until January 2001. Before becoming director of the Johnson Space Center in 1994, Huntun was appointed to the selection panel for NASA Astronaut Group 8, the first astronaut selection that included women. The selection of six women as astronauts in 1978 doubled the number of women in technical positions at the Johnson Space Center. As the most senior woman already there, Huntoon became a role model and chaperone to the newcomers. She was involved in the center's preparations to cater to women as astronauts and became the point of contact for those with issues with the women astronauts. She went on to serve on subsequent astronaut selection panels until 1994, but expressed regret that fewer women were chosen than she would have liked. The astronaut office remained largely male-dominated into the 21st century. In 1994, she became director of the Johnson Space Center. 
She was the first woman to direct any NASA center, and as such, she was in charge of a workforce of 15,000, supporting 13 successful space shuttle missions and the development of what became the International Space Station. From 1996 to 1998, she served as the NASA representative in the Office of Science and Technology Policy in Washington, D.C. Huntoon left NASA in 1998 to join George Washington University as an executive in residence. The following year, she was nominated by President Clinton and confirmed by the United States Senate as the fourth Assistant Secretary for DOE's Office of Environmental Management. In this role, she oversaw the DOE cleanup of the United States Nuclear Weapons Complex at 113 sites in 30 states. After the 2000 presidential election, President George W. Bush asked her to stay on at DOE to provide some continuity. She agreed to do that until a suitable replacement was found. She retired in the summer of 2001. Here's more on Carolyn Huntoon. In her own words, and in the words of her longtime friend, Dr. Peggy Whitson, and her daughter, Dr. Sally Huntoon Vitale. Today we are introducing to you and to the world these seven men who have been selected to begin training for orbital space flight. Uh, based on your own experience in, in space, do you or any of you feel that uh, there will ever be an opportunity for a woman to become an astronaut in our space program? Where's the time? Where's the time? We wanted to select women astronauts, but the pool of women uh, with engineering and physics and math degrees that wanted to be astronauts was a very small pool. We had to advertise, and still people didn't believe that we were going to select women. You know, it was one of those things like, this was a man's job, we weren't going to select women. So we went out and gave talks to groups and tried to encourage them to consider applying. Considered one of the foremost scientists in the United States, Carolyn Leach Huntoon made history in 1994 as the first woman director of NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. She played an essential role in leading an organization that carried out some of uh, what are arguably the greatest uh, scientific and engineering feats uh, that human beings have ever been organized to carry out together. Shuttle launch control, T minus two hours, 28 minutes, 15 I've been interviewed several times about Sally Ride. She was a California girl. Her fun thing to do was ride up and down the freeways with the windows open in the car, you know. It could have been a tennis pro, if probably, if she had wanted to do that. Did her degree in physics. She could quote you any statistic you wanted on baseball, and she knew what the job was and wanted to do it. And the ignition and liftoff, liftoff of STS-7 and America's first woman astronaut. And the shuttle has cleared the tower. The women that were there trying to advance, and as we brought more women in and all, did not want to be treated specially. And yet, eventually they would run into something, you know, and we'd sit down and discuss it. In my career, up until the time that I was center director and left the Johnson Space Center, I was still involved with the physiology and the endocrine changes with spaceflight. I, 
I never let go of the technical aspect of what I was there to do. I believe that was important because I think that your respect for yourself and others' respect for you if you are technically competent and understand what it is you're talking about, I think that goes a long way in getting things done. It was a shift in our country that allowed us to recruit select women, give them the opportunity to do, in, uh, to do the kind of work that they were trained to do in space. Carolyn grew up in the small central Louisiana town of Leesville. Her parents were Lucille Godwin Leach and Anthony Claude Leach. She was the youngest of six siblings, uh, and it was um, you know, taught to her from an early age that um, they were responsible for her and she was responsible for them. She graduated in 1958 from Leesville High School and attended Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, majoring in biology and medical technology. It was while pursuing a Master of Science and Doctorate degree at Baylor College of Medicine that she met one of the principal investigators for the Gemini spacecraft medical experiments. It was a connection that led to her working at NASA. As a pioneer in human life science research, Huntoon created and supervised projects in the Apollo, Skylab, and Space Shuttle programs. And it wasn't long before she became involved in recruiting women for the space programs. So my mom continued to mentor the women uh, who joined the astronaut class on the next street over from my house is where uh, Sally Ride lived. She'd often come by um, our house. This was even before Sally was selected as America's first woman in space. Seeing a young astronaut who um, was, you know, really needing mentorship, and that she came to my mom, and my mom was able to. Uh, help her. Carolyn, I think, is a trendsetter that has enabled a lot of women to really do a lot more. It was a shift in our country that allowed us to recruit select women, give them the opportunity to do, in, uh, to do the kind of work that they were trained to do in space. As a rising star through the ranks of NASA, she was recognized internationally as a leader on issues of aerospace medicine and worked in collaboration with the Soviet space program. This was at a time when relations between the U.S. and the USSR were, uh, were not good. Um, and yet in the sort of common spirit of uh, science and the scientific method and experimentation, um, these scientists got together. I had no real experience uh, in international negotiations or what that would take. So it was a big door opening for me in terms of learning new things and challenging myself, which is actually what I really credit Carolyn for, for teaching me. It was during Huntoon's time as associate director of the Johnson Space Center that the shuttle Challenger shattered just 73 seconds from takeoff. My mom had been responsible for um, selecting many of the astronauts that died in that mission. Our entire community and really the entire country was grieving over the loss of these individuals. My mom's leadership, uh, particularly during times of difficulty um, at the Johnson Space Center, was inspirational. She's an incredible leader, obviously, uh, and um, an incredible mentor, especially to me. I think her strength in being a mentor is challenging you to do something more than you think you might be able to. And that's what she gave me. 
Following her time at NASA, Dr. Huntoon served Presidents George W. Bush and Bill Clinton as the Department of Energy's Assistant Secretary for Environmental Management. In that job, she oversaw the cleanup of over 100 of the nation's nuclear sites. Thinking back to the fact that my grandfather, um, you know, had a, a, a plumbing business and uh, had dropped out of school in third grade, that's really, uh, it's kind of a remarkable uh, American dream story. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report podcast. Join us next week for more news about DOE's environmental management program across the nation. To comment on this episode, hear past episodes, or suggest a future interview guest, visit us at gonefissionpodcast.com. You'll also find links to topics of interest covered in this podcast. Visit gonefissionpodcast.com.